Welcome to Betrayal Trauma Recovery, BTR.org. I'm Anne. I'm sure you remember what it was like when you were searching for help, maybe for your husband, hoping to find the right program or therapist. That's why I started podcasting. I supported my husband through seven years of pornography addiction recovery, and not one therapist during that time told me I was experiencing emotional and psychological abuse and sexual coercion. I didn't want any other woman on the planet to be in the dark. If you're like me, one simple anonymous way to help spread the word is to click follow or subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. While you're there, every five-star rating also makes this podcast more visible and will help save other women from getting the wrong kind of help, like a couple program that'll make this type of abuse worse. If you've already purchased a copy of my book, Trauma Mama Husband Drama, please circle back and give it a five-star rating. A lot of women are searching for books about betrayal trauma, and Rating Trauma Mama will help them find this podcast, which is free to everyone. If you're like the majority of my listeners, you're experiencing the type of abuse that's invisible and difficult to wrap your head around. Your husband is using porn or having affairs or lying to you, and you're getting the same bad advice about how to improve communication or your relationship. If you need real support, check out our daily group session schedule at btr.org. We'd love to see you in a session today. Kathy Jones is back on the episode today. I started this conversation with her two weeks ago. So if you didn't listen to the first one, go back, listen to that first. That first episode together with her has her bio on it and introduces what we're talking about. We ended the conversation last week talking about how dangerous it is for victims to go share their story when they don't know it's abuse and they're going for help. To maybe a therapist or maybe clergy or someone else. And that person is like, oh, well, let's bring your husband in and see what he has to say. Or let's see if we can get him to repent. Or let's see if, you know, if we explain it to him better, if he can shape up. No one in that scenario really understands that it's abuse. So we'll jump in right at that point. Anytime information gets back to somebody who is abusive, there is always going to be a risk for retaliation for having made a disclosure of any kind. I think one of the first things any anybody listening to this podcast should ask anybody they go to for help is, I, I need to say something to you, I need to tell you something, but I need to know under what circumstances would you share any bit of my disclosure with somebody else, including my partner? Because if they can't say to you, we will not disclose anything unless we have your specific written permission to make a disclosure, except for under mandated reporting laws, that kind of thing, we are not going to make a disclosure because it is not safe. Abusers, when they know that they're being outed, they react potentially a few ways, but the ones that I can think of immediately is they come back at you with anger and their anger is always dangerous or they start spreading lies about you. I call it, she's the bitter, violent, lying, lazy, crazy, drunken, drug and money, grub and slut defense. Or I, I call it building social equity. They try to collect as many flying monkeys around them so that they can start discrediting you and what your perspective is, leaving you feeling very isolated and alone. 
it's never a good response. So disclosure, like even to somebody you think you can trust, you have to ask, what would you potentially do with disclosures that I make? Because it's important, really important for your own physical and emotional safety that you have an idea of what's happening to that disclosure after it's made. Now, disclosure is a very fraught word here at BTR because any listener who has gone through pornography addiction recovery with the abuser, part of that is usually that the therapist wants to do a disclosure with the perpetrator to write down all of his porn use affairs, all of his compulsive sexual behavior. So they'll list it all out and they'll say, okay, we're going to do this therapeutic disclosure. And they don't identify the victim and the perpetrator because both of them are victims of the addiction, so to speak. That's really a thing. This is really a thing. Yeah. I'm horrified by what you just said. Yeah, it's really a thing. So basically the therapist says to her, this is going to be hard for him. We need to support him through this disclosure. They might do like a therapeutic polygraph at the end, which we do not recommend because they do not help. Like she is the ultimate decision maker about who, if she is safe, if she feels safe. And a lot of times after that polygraph, the the therapist is like, well, he's told us everything and the polygraph has confirmed it. So I don't know why you're feeling stressed still. He's doing great. Now, I guess we have to deal with your trauma as in you're a problem because you feel this trauma and the trauma is the problem, not his abuse. And so now you become like this crazy person because he's fine and he's done everything he's supposed to do and you're still suffering. That is the ultimate systemic gaslighting and I want to vomit right now. Yeah, it's really, really bad. I just want to acknowledge that as women to this podcast are listening because many of them have maybe either considered this pornography addiction recovery therapeutic disclosure or someone has suggested it to them. That word disclosure in and of itself can be very triggery for victims of abuse in this setting, right? In this context. And I'm sorry if I use it in a way that potentially has hurt somebody. Yeah, no, you're okay because you didn't know, right? (laughs) You didn't know. So I'm just wanting to like acknowledge that with all the listeners that she's talking about reporting the abuse, which is probably the word I would use here so that we don't get it confused with these disclosures that they use. That is dangerous. And then make sure that the person that you report to is a safe person. That is key. So we have a a living free workshop that really helps women decipher who is safe and who is not in terms of when they start their journey to safety so that they're not accidentally reporting the abuse to someone, you know, it could even be a neighbor who is going to get back to him about what's going on. Can I give you an example of what something safe might sound like? Sure. Yeah. (laughs) This is the conversation that I have with everybody who calls me from the very moment the phone rings and I pick up the phone and I say, like, listen, before we get into what you want to tell me about, there are a couple things I want you to know about me. First and foremost, I believe you. You don't have to convince me of anything. I know that if you're reaching out to me, it's because you are in a storm of unsafety for yourself and or your kids, and that you are so desperate that you need support. I let them know right from the beginning, 
I believe you. Like there's no having to tell me anything that you don't want to tell me in order to make me get to a place where I believe you. And anybody who would qualify their statement by saying like, I have to check in with the other person. No, you don't. No, you do not. Nobody likes to identify themselves as victims, least of all victims, because we know that there's an entire society waiting to line up to hate us. There's no crown at the end of victimization. There isn't anybody standing up and giving us a standing ovation. Nobody likes to identify as a victim. So when somebody goes and says, I'm being victimized by somebody, we, the society around them, needs to say, okay, we believe you. How can we help you? Before we get back to the conversation, there are a lot of so-called betrayal trauma therapists or coaches or groups out there, but they don't approach pornography use or infidelity as an abuse issue. Or they try to quote unquote, treat the victim and the abuser in the same setting. That's unethical. So if you hear something in this episode you relate to, check out the group session schedule at btr.org. We'd love to see you in a group session today. Now back to our conversation. If you are having to twist yourself in all kinds of different ways to get someone to believe you, they are not safe. They are not a safe person. That's a really good one. I really like that if they have to check in with the other person or are they thinking, okay, well, this is this side of the story, but you know, every story has two sides. So let me... it takes two to tango. Yeah. It only takes one to not tango. So I mentioned this before when I was talking about how sometimes I talk to victims and they tell me that part of their story and it includes some victim blaming or it includes some of the abuse that they've experienced that they don't recognize is abuse. So they're parroting the abuse. Again, not their fault. They don't understand what's happening. They believe certain things about themselves due to the abuse. And so their experience, when they describe it, usually a therapist role is to validate that and help them move through that. So how do we validate and support victims and their lived experience while also educating them about abuse and what has happened to them? And I think that this goes back to a concept that I was talking about earlier, where I was saying, I have them share their experiences in their words to me. Then I will ask permission. Would it be okay if I reframe this? You know, you're telling me that he forces you to have sexual relations when you're feeling sick or when you're not really feeling up to feeling loving. Can I reframe that for you? In most states, that would be considered sexual assault, even if you're married or even if you're in partnership, because sexual relations require consent. And so if you're not feeling up to having sexual relations, if you're feeling sick or if you're feeling tired and you haven't given consent, that is a form of sexual assault. That's many times how this conversation comes to me is because the women that I talk with are telling me all kinds of examples of how their partner refused to take no for an answer. And they're ticking off just about every checkbox that there is regarding sexual assault, and yet they won't call it sexual assault. And so for me to be able to say, like, is it okay if I reframe this for you and give you my perspective on it? 
first of all, I'm asking for that permission. I'm asking for their consent. If they're like, no, like, you know, I did. I have a, had a survivor once who was very angry with me because she absolutely 100% believed that she was codependent with her perpetrator. And it was a Facebook conversation. And so I forgot to ask for the consent. I just said, I'd like to reframe this for you. This is why codependency is a problematic concept in victim world, that it is a victim blaming concept. And that victim, she blocked me. (laughs) She, after getting very upset with me and explaining her reasonings, why it made sense to her, sure, I make mistakes. (laughs) It's important that I acknowledge them because I needed to hear why that perspective was important to her. But I still think that it is also appropriate with somebody's permission to allow for that reframing so that they can start shifting their understanding because as their lack of understanding leaves them in abuse, it may for other people that they come in contact with also. And so it's really about just making sure that we're gently educating as long as somebody has the capacity to hear it. If they don't have that capacity yet, it's okay to let it be for now and just encourage them to get other perspectives and other education sometimes they hang on to that perspective out of a survival mechanism or a survival skill. And we don't want to take away what is helping them survive. I think as an advocate, I'm the most guilty of that. Not being as gentle as I probably should be in educating people about abuse and I'm grateful for this conversation. I can see better now that I am post-abuse. Yes. But I do remember being there. I remember people saying little things to me and me like kind of pushing it away or thinking that that wasn't really the case, only to realize later like, oh, that really was it. And it was a survival mechanism for me. And it is for all survivors. Another reframe that I ask people to do a lot is that concept of that idea of, well, that victim is lying to me. Right. You know, and I'm not going to help her because she's lying to me. And I say to the person who's saying that, the person who wants to be the helper, can we please reframe that? Can we please think about it as she's not ready to trust you yet? as opposed to she's lying to me. And when I think of it that way, when I say this person isn't ready to trust me yet, I can go back to them and say, listen, I can understand that you don't know if I'm a trustworthy person or not yet. If you don't want to tell me something, it's okay. If I ask you a question, it's never to deny your experience or it's never to challenge you. It's only to make sure I fully understand what's happening so I can get you to the best help possible. But if you don't trust me with information, it's okay to keep it to yourself until you feel I am trustworthy. That just allows women to just like have this whole big burden roll off their shoulders. Like she's not going to accuse me of lying because 
I, as a helper person, no matter how good my intentions are, until they understand who I am and how I work, I don't get the privilege of automatic access to their victimization story. But it's really kind of bold of me to think that I might. And important that victims have the right to edit their stories by how safe they are feeling in my presence. Thank you so much for the work you do. You are incredible. And I really appreciate you taking the time to share with us. Kathy's going to be back on the podcast talking about a few other topics. We're going to be talking about how kids become abuser aligned through the abusers gaslighting and manipulation of the children. We're also going to be talking about the unique challenges and heartaches and hardships of mothers who are still in the system with parental alienation issues, quote unquote, I don't put any stock in that term, but what I mean is women who are being accused of that in order for the abuser to maintain control and maintain the ability to coercively control her and her children. We are going to cover those topics in a few months, so stay tuned because she is an amazing advocate and has so much to share with you. Her website is motherjusticenetwork.org, so please check that out. And Kathy, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. Thank you, and You do amazing work, too. If this podcast was helpful to you, please help us reach other women by pushing that follow or subscribe button and giving us a five-star rating. Thank you for helping get the word out. Your donations keep this podcast going. Go to our website, btr.org, scroll to the bottom, click on support the BTR podcast. And until next week, stay safe out there.